welcome everybody to Full Throttle TV Special Edition, where we'll be talking about the 30th anniversary of the Back to the Future series. I'm your host, Michael, and my co-host... Ron. So, we're taking a slight break from doing the TV shows devoted to, you know, awesome vehicles, like what we did with uh, Dukes of Hazard, Airwolf, Chips. And we're going to continue doing those, but we thought this is the perfect opportunity. We are almost 30 years to the day of the release of Back to the Future, in my opinion, the greatest trilogy of all time. How do you feel about the series when it comes to trilogies? The best. I mean, Lord of the Rings is amazing. The original Star Wars is amazing. But man, Back to the Future, it just, every time it gets better and better. I say, in the time travel element helps. I'm, yeah. I'm big than anything time travel, so. <laughs> um, so we're going to start off, we're going to talk about each movie individually, and then we're going to talk about the cartoon series. And you've played the video game, correct? Uh... I don't know. <laughs> oh, yes, the latest one, yes. Yeah, on the Wii. The, the yeah. series, yeah. Oh, listen to me talk about the original video games. The ones by LJN <laughs> were the most difficult, irritating games of all time. If you want to know right. how bad they are, there is a guy on YouTube. He has a channel. It's called Angry Video Game Nerd. Where yeah. He discusses the entire franchise. And I remember now wanting to slam my face into the controller over and over <laughs> and over while trying to play. Do you remember the scene in... Uh, the original video game where he is in like a soda jerk fountain kind of place and there's just a guy throwing sundays at you and you got to catch all of them right that's that's so dumb or the fact that you trip over every single thing on your skateboard no matter how tiny it was you could jump over a hedge but you couldn't jump over a pebble <laughs> all right so back to the future did you see it in the uh theaters i'm trying to recall if i did or not it seems to me like i did or at least the maybe the second one, but most definitely I've seen the third one. Yeah, the first one I saw, I think about three or four weeks into it, it was kind of one of those word-of-mouth movies. It was one of those things where it opened decent, but then every week it kept building on its audience, which never happens anymore. It's really, really rare that something like that happens. I think the last time it happened was Sixth Sense. Hmm. But do you think it's weird that like a movie can open at $10 million and then close at $250 million? I mean, these days a movie opens at $70 million and closes at $150. I don't... Do I think it's weird? Yeah, well, <laughs> I think back, it's back, awesome. Back in the day, um, a movie could open kind of small but then build on its audience. And then it could be right. around for months and months and months. And it seems like today, a movie opens huge and all of a sudden, before you even think about going to the theater to see it, it's on video. You're like, wait, what? What just happened? Right, and this is one of those where I think, this is to me like what Titanic was to my sister, where she oh. went back and went back and went back. I, If I was, you know, old enough, had a job, I probably would have done the same thing. But I, I totally would have seen this, yeah, numerous times. This is, in fact, the very first VHS I ever bought, and boy, I wore that thing out. Right. <laughs> it got to the point where uh, there's certain sequences that I would watch over and over. I love the special effects, effects sequences. And I noticed that they were just a little bit fuzzier or a little bit less, <laughs> like the tape would go. <laughs> Dang it. Oh, Which is this way of forcing you to watch, you know, d dive deeper. Yeah. Well, I just, I miss uh, tracking a little bit. You're just like, oh, that's right. I've seen this a thousand times. It's still trying to find its place in the tape. Dang it. <laughs> Did you love the, the manual tracking? Yeah, that was a pain. I remember <laughs> the very first VCR I had where you'd like do the wheels on top, trying to get, oh. The, oh, get that right, get that right. <laughs> Um, Back to the Future uh, originally was supposed to star Eric Stoltz because they could not get Michael yes. Fox. He was uh, too busy with the TV show, and they wouldn't let him out of his contract to go do the movie. I have no problem with Eric Stoltz, but I can kind of see where he was coming from. He's not exactly a funny guy. No, he's like, mm, 
He's earnest. He's a very earnest but, actor. Yes, that's what I'm looking for. <laughs> and like, I think he would have sold the dramatic stuff, but when it came to the the reaction the, shots and the comedic elements, I think he would have been a fish out of water. Yeah, definitely. Especially going up against Crispin Glover. Man, I had if I had seen the what is it? He was in Friday the Thirteenth Part Four. But if I had seen that and then saw Back to the Future, I would have had like an idea of how crazy he might have been. But man, the first time I saw him, I'm like, I didn't understand what acting really was back then. But I would watch Chris McGlover just going, I, I have no idea what's coming next with him. This is a weirdo. <laughs> I was like, I was watching the other day uh, a YouTube video, Back to the Future cast reunites on today. If anybody wants to look that up. Really? Yeah, it's just a short little snippet, about about 12 minutes, just under 12 minutes. But it's really interesting to see some of them now. It's like you, you really get a feel for just how long ago this movie came out. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's a it's a shame to say that Jennifer so hot, so insanely hot in the first Back to the Future. <laughs> eh, it's life. You know, you age, you, you change. But it was kind of like, oh, I guess she's getting older. in the first one. Yeah. I I don't honestly I don't remember. I probably should know who this is, but I don't remember who she is. Oh, it's Marty's girlfriend, Jennifer. Yes, but oh, she oh. was a different actress in the first movie. Right, Claudia Wells. Um, oh. She only really did that in the Fast Times at Ridgemont High TV show. And right as they were getting ready to film 2-3, her mother uh, was severely ill, so she went home. And she took care of her mother instead of being in the sequels, and then she hasn't acted Well, that's... It's commendable. Yeah, I'm surprised. Commendable, yeah. Most people would just go, ah, oh, I just hire someone to take care of her, and I will act in these movies. And, and, you know, it could have built on her career, but it didn't, and I think she made the right choice. And then Elizabeth Shue stepped in, and I have no problem with Elizabeth Shue. I don't think anybody does. <laughs> about Crispin Glover? No, he's a whole other story. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know where he comes from. We, we'll, we won't get too far into part two, but his, I mean, he's obviously kind of unusual, and he has strange demands with what he does and some of the stuff he does is absolutely amazing i don't know if you've ever been called reuben and ed but that is off the charts and like hey. this is dedication to a character he's a little he's a little out there yeah <laughs> i mean he made demands and ridiculous like price for being in the sequel so he was gone got a bigger head than he needed but the first one <clears throat> I, th I think the first movie is the very first movie i've ever seen where it was to be continued at the end have you ever seen one that had a cliffhanger no I mean, of course, at the end of the James Bond movies, they would tell you, uh, oh, James Bond will be back. And, of course, the Empire Strikes Back, you assume there's going to be a part three because, you know, Han Solo is kidnapped and uh, Luke's lost his hand. They still got to take down Darth Vader. You assume there's going to be a part three. But at no point at the end of it did they say, this will be to be continued in Return of the Jedi. Maybe this was the, the way for the powers that be could ensure that the next movie was going to get made. Yeah, especially <laughs> since it was so huge. Um, right. Did you watch the making of this on the Blu-ray? Do you have Blu-ray or DVD? Uh, DVD. Oh, the Blu-ray has a new special, um, it's like a five-part making of thing where they interview everybody now. Right. And they were talking about the fact that the movie was always called Back to the Future. And within like a month or so before release, Sid Sheinberg, the head of Universal Studios, wanted to change the title because he said it was too confusing. He's like, wait, back? But four? to the future and the people are going to get it <laughs> so he sent a memo to spielberg saying that it should be called i think it was uh spaceman from planet pluto <laughs> do you remember that comic book that kid is reading in the farmhouse yeah. 
uh, you know, it said that title, and of course, when he visits George McFly in the suit, he's supposed to be that kind of character. But he wanted to be called Spaceman from Pluto, and they're like, he's the head of the studio. What are we going to do? Because he could just enforce this. And uh, Spielberg sent a letter back to him saying, that's a hilarious joke. Thank you for putting a smile on our face. We needed it. And no one ever said another word about it. <laughs> oh, my God. Nobody would have seen Spaceman from Pluto. <laughs> That sounds like the budget should have been cut to about a third. Oh, yeah, and, and released by a totally different studio and not have Spielberg's name on it. Right. Yeah, I think it's funny, though. They they struggled for years to get this made. Nobody, nobody would touch the would touch the script. They said the, the 50s weren't that popular, which is ridiculous. A great huge hit. And, you know, those guys were kind of box office poison because they did 1941 and they used cars, which now people like both of those movies, but at the time they didn't do very well. But then the director, Robert Zemeckis, he went on to do Romance of the Stone. That was a nice. huge hit. And all of a sudden, they're like, okay, Spielberg and them got together, so it's time to pitch this movie. And thankfully, yep. they did. Because if they had just changed their mind out of frustration and went on to other projects, oh, we'd be just lost. Well, we wouldn't know any different. But No, no, but I'm just... Life, <laughs> the world would have been at a loss. <laughs> Let's just say the movie had continued and Eric Stoltz had stayed the lead. Oh, he realized no. that Michael J. Fox would be known for... His biggest box office hit would probably be Teen Wolf. Oh, that'd suck. <laughs> I mean, I, mean I, I love that movie. I but... enjoy Teen Wolf for what it is, but, you know, even he's a little embarrassed by it. Yeah. Well, I'll explain why he didn't want to do a second one. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> well, yeah, I looked. It may have been on YouTube as well, something about, or maybe it was part of that as well. Yeah, it was that little snippet on today, um, I think. Where they showed a back uh, a scene where Eric Stoltz was in it, yeah, and maybe it's because I've seen you know Michael in it, and that's the way I know it. But just seeing him there, it, it, just the look of him didn't fit for me. I don't know, you know but you, felt, you know what it felt like? It felt like when George Lucas took the Star Wars movies and re-edited them again, and then took out uh, um, Anakin, and then threw in Hayden Christensen as Anakin. You're like, wait. Photoshop, and crappy I mean, photoshops. The one amazing thing is that they were going to use a refrigerator as the time machine until they, yes. until they changed the script to the point where they're like, wait, we got to have some sort of speed element, we got to have something cool, and then we bring I, in one of the most iconic cars in the world. Yes. Go ahead, you got some specs on the DeLorean? I got a few, well, yeah, I got a few here. Everybody knows it's a stainless steel body, and that was probably the only car ever made that way. Mainly because it was way too freaking heavy. <laughs> but that being said, all those cars, for the most part, except for the tiny, you know, the internal parts here and there, is are mostly intact. Uh, I saw one of these when we were living in Huntington for sale on the lot across from Owen South. Now we're talking original DeLorean, not modified? Original DeLorean. Okay. And they wanted, oh, what did they want for it? It was right around the... 18 to 20 grand spot, a lot there. That's not too bad. That wasn't too bad at all, but that was a lot more money than I could yeah. ever for a car at that time. So, I mean, I didn't get my first car till what, I was 20? Yeah. But <laughs> that's a whole other story. But anyway, for those who don't know, DeLorean was the, uh, oh, what was it? Oh, I lost his name. I lost his name. DeLorean's his last name. Crap! <laughs> John. John DeLorean? 
that right? I don't know. I should, I don't, go ahead. John, yeah, it was John Z. DeLorean. I don't know what the Z stands for, but anyway, he was a former executive General Motors who helped, was kind of on the brainchild, whatever, of the Pontiac GTO at the time. Anyway. In 1974, he decided he wanted to do his own thing and founded the DeLorean Motor Company, the DMC. And I think they made, what, two cars? There was the, they were both the like this. There was one, I could be wrong on that, don't quote me on that, but the one that we see in the movie is called the DMC-12. And we go back to that weight thing. The thing weighed so freaking much that that puny little 2.8 liter, 2.85 liter V6 they had under the hood could not, Pull that thing for nothing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know what you're thinking. It's supposed to be this cool, you know, modern day, fast looking sports car, you know, blah, 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 blah. And it just wouldn't get out from underneath its own weight. But, but that being said, you know, it's underpinnings aside, I love this car. And you can always drop a new engine in it, you know, so. <laughs> but I say, but here's the thing it was only in production. Let's see. There it is. Three model years from 81, 82, and 83 they made them. And only approximately 9,200 cars were built because they had to file for bankruptcy in 1982. Because of drugs, right? Wasn't it some sort of... In, in... I believe it was something along those lines. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I was reading... Someone was telling me it was... Uh, his father-in-law was the creator of the Ferrari or the Lamborghini? Let's see. Um... And he helped get funding from him. And uh, then later it ended up this huge... Um, case it was involving drugs and um you know embezzling and stuff like this so the whole thing went down yep. pretty bad well this car was actually designed not by him it was his brainchild but it wasn't designed by him it was a man named george okay i'm gonna botch this giorgetto giaro that's not an easy word <laughs> to say it's italian <laughs> we know but and it was engineered by lotus of england nice oh I mean, it should have been more than what it was, but and it may have been if they did just drop the stainless steel body. Yeah, you know what's funny is they were saying something in the movie about the fact that they used a plastic version so that it wouldn't be so heavy and that it was easier to get in and out of, and that you know it'd go faster. I imagine this thing burned up some serious gas being that heavy. Right. Well, just I couldn't like, find anything on normal speed limits. Must have like burned through a tank. <laughs> I mean, it would go, but it was like your regular everyday. It should have had more oomph than it did. It just—it's just like your everyday car, pretty much. Yeah. Maybe a little bit more than average, but yeah. But look, you know, all that aside, if I could afford one now, I would definitely just because of this movie, would definitely jump on that one. But, yeah, we went to a car show in Pismo a couple years ago, and there was a guy who had one of the Back to the Future cars. I don't know how many were made in total for the entire franchise, or if they were made some after the movie for like you know like the shows they had at Universal Studios or whatever reason to keep the image out there. And he had one. It was used in one of the movies. And I was just like, oh, my God, I'm looking at history right here. I took all of these pictures, and my camera melted down. I lost every single one of them before I could yeah. post it. Like, within an hour of me taking the photos, it melted down. <laughs> Not right. I mean, even had a guy out there pretending to be Doc Brown. Just, hello, everybody. Oh, give it to my back on the ride. <laughs> nice. I'm trying to look up the weight on this thing. But I, I can't find it. Anyway. Yeah, and of course they did tons of modifications. Here's the weird thing. is The first time I actually saw a DeLorean was much, much later. And I was looking at it going, uh, looks like a DeLorean, but where's all the stuff? Like, I didn't understand. I think I was like at 10. I was 
I was eight years old when the movie came out, and I think I was like 10 or 11 when I saw my first DeLorean, and I didn't understand why it didn't have all the gadgets, doodads all right. over it, because I thought that's what a DeLorean looked like. <laughs> I didn't understand that he modified it to the extreme. The big letdown, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, and I was like, well, you say it's a DeLorean, but it's not a DeLorean to me. <laughs> there is a place, uh, where is it? South Carolina, I think. Based on the cost of getting a car to and from. Anyway, where you can actually rent a Back to the Future version of the DeLorean. Woo! Yeah. So if you live you live on the capacitor? East Coast. <laughs> What's that? Does it have a flux capacitor and is it fluxing? Uh, oh, I'm sure it has all that stuff. I'm looking at one now. It's it's on uh, the DeLoreanTimeMachine.com. But uh, yeah, it's decked out just like, well, I don't see a Mr. Fusion, so it may not be that one. But <laughs> anyway. But that would be so cool. I always wondered, I watch this movie all the time, and it's always bothered me. How is it that this high school student knows this old man who is kind of an outcast in society? How do they even know each other? Was he hired to help him? Are they just friends? How does this work? Uh. You never thought about how weird that is? Like, wait a minute, you're 17, hanging around it a is guy a little roughly high. 65, and you have plutonium. What's a teenager doing near with plutonium? <laughs> I'm sure somebody out there is driven, you know, like drawn a map of Hill Valley, and maybe they were neighbors. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, I was wondering. Yeah, they never really tell you if he like he was hired to be his assistant, or somehow they met through weird circumstances and they just became friends. Because Marty's a little eccentric, and you know, of course, Doc is really eccentric. <laughs> what? But I was just thinking about that. We're talking about a guy who steals plutonium because he's dealing with arms dealers. And yet he's hanging around this kid. It's like the same reasoning why uh, Batman and Robin are together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get it, Bruce. You feel sorry for the kid. He needs a home. Guess what? There are other people other than you who are not going to put this kid in the line of fire every single episode. <laughs> right. No reason that Robin should ever be involved. It's ridiculous. Yeah, well, you know. <laughs> At least Marty's almost an adult. Robin's like 10. No, it never made any sense to me. Um... And I also love the fact that, for no real rhyme or reason, that um, Doc Brown builds this massive speaker. It's humongous. And I don't really know why. It's just there to be there. Because he's a student of all sciences. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think actually, I will say this about the Back to the Future trilogy. Um, the first 15 minutes before they even get to the point of going into the past, it, it seems like a generic, just an everyday kind of high school comedy. And it's okay. But it's not until they get into the science and get into the whole Back to the Future thing where it's like, oh, okay, I get this. Who hasn't wanted to go to the past and fix something so that their future is better? Right. And Very bad. Of course, going to the 50s, I think, I've always thought that there was a post-Vietnam nostalgia kick. I don't even know if nostalgia even existed before Vietnam. But I think it was, you know, the, the serious situation we were in. People started reflecting on a more innocent time. People were happier. And they started thinking about, you know, post-World War II kind of expanding America. And, you know, rock and roll for the first time. Kids were starting to be people instead of just being children. And having Marty go back to his parents' high school years was a genius idea. I mean, he could have just gone back five years, ten years. But by going back to the 50s, it brings this huge nostalgia factor so that my parents... And my grandparents, they all understood that time period. So that's why I think it was such a massive hit. Not just because it was well-written, because it linked in to a period of time that was so innocent and fun. Definitely. I've always wanted to take a trip back. And maybe this movie helps with that. I don't know. But 
maybe I'm an old, what do they call that, an old soul? Yeah. <laughs> but back when times were a little simpler, at least it felt like it was. Well, it depends. On, and this is going to be a, a harsh reality, but it's because we're white. I don't know if it'd be that easy if you're black. I don't think black people want to go back to the 60s. So no. Yeah, if we could get away from that, it be, wouldn't be so bad. But. but, you know, if you did Back to the Future now, then you'd be going back to 1985. And then, yeah, you can, anybody's pretty much awesome in 85. Right. <laughs> That's yeah, nuts. The, the 50s aspect, of course, is fun. It also allows you to discover music you've never heard before. When I was a little kid, I never heard those 50s classics. It was, at best, whatever was on the radio at that time. Right. Well, my mom, I don't know about the 50s class. I probably didn't start getting into those until high school when my horizons started to broaden as far as music goes. But yeah. I was pretty one-tracked growing up. But. And I, I love the redemption that George has. Marty, the, the, the screenwriters could have made it so that Marty saves the day at the end. You know, he takes out Biff, but it was necessary for them to have George do it so that it changes his personality, not just Marty's personality. And I right. think that was a, that is one of the most exciting moments in film history. It's a, to me, it's even more emotional impact than Rocky. Because Rocky knew how to fight. He was just an underdog because he was poor and not that intelligent. But George was a complete wimp, and things were always out of control for him, that he was always like just the schmuck, the guy being pushed around. I think all of us have had a moment like that. If not, guess what? You were the bully. <laughs> you're right. a bully and uh, you should probably take some self-reflection right now but all of us had a moment where we didn't have control over the situation and seeing George do that just made us feel a little bit better about ourselves it's a weird thing but a really good director and writer can make that happen right but um, I think in general the first Back to the Future was really trend setting it, it brought sci-fi and comedy together like the way Ghostbusters brought um, well it was a little sci-fi but it was more like you know horror and comedy together the influence that Back to the Future had on not just that genre, but all of a sudden everybody now wants a trilogy. And it's kind of funny. Trilogies are kind of out of hand. A true trilogy has to have uh, a triptych of tales. They all have to be connected. They can't just be three sequels. Uh, people do that sometimes, like the Underworld. Oh, it's the Underworld trilogy. Yeah, but the three movies aren't really connected. They're just the same character in a different plot. Right. They have to be three interlinked stories. And with that, I think we'll jump out of Back to the Future. We'll take a break here, and we'll go to Back to the Future 2. Back to the Future 2. After waiting for four and a half long, torturous years, we finally, I don't know why I got so like, boss, go on seven years ago. Where's your uh, hat? We waited a very, very long time for Back to the Future 2. Back in the day, you did not wait a long time for sequels. Now, it's not too rare that you have to wait a while for a part two or three. But man, we had to wait a very, very long time. But for good reason, Robert Zemeckis was putting together Roger Rabbit. <clears throat> which I'm okay with. Yeah, I mean, that takes a long time to do. So by the time he was done, they finally kicked into high gear. But not only did we get a part two, we got a part three. And they shot them back to back. And I will say this with part two, at the time I saw this, you know, I was 12, and uh, I love the future aspects, the ideas that came across. But as I get older, I start to like three better because there's more plot. 
Do you feel like the, sec the second one is just a little bit too much uh, overload with cross timelines, and then the first half, of course, is all the flashiness of the future? Right. Um, I have to be honest, the second one is not my favorite out of the three. <laughs> I mean, that being said, I still enjoy it. Yeah. But I do believe it's a little bit over the top, a little too much, a little too much. I think it's funny that um, it's it's we're now looking at that year, 2015. There's little bits and pieces that we did get, but there's a lot of stuff they were wrong about. But of course, yeah. in the future, you have to guess what is possible. Yeah. I mean, you can't deny the flying car because, of course, that's how the first one ends is a flying car. So I don't think flying cars are ever going to happen because the minute one has malfunction, it's going to crash straight to the ground and kill everything in sight. Yeah, well, it would be just like an airplane crashing, but... <laughs> yeah, but you're talking like, instead of... Uh, I mean, there's only so many planes in the sky right now. There are a, there'd be a bazillion cars at all times. There'd be a lot of red tape. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think if they split it up between the sky... Of course, everyone's going to want to fly, right? Yeah. Except for those people who hate flying, but I don't know. That's right. I also noticed the other day, the other day, last night when I watched this one, um, the town didn't to me the future we're talking that you know the future future would be bigger the town didn't grow no well <laughs> i can't say a downtown is going to grow that much the way i've seen it is a lot of towns especially since it's set in california downtown stays the same it's the uh, outskirts outside. yeah that's right. where all the big box stores and huge buildings go you know all the office stuff goes and right so it's usually the suburbs that are taken out and true that true that um there's some, like the, I don't think the hologram will ever happen. You know, Jaws 15. Obviously, we never made it past the Jaws 4 because 4 was so bad. And of course, I thank mean, you. The Cubs have it in mind, and you know, I'm a I'm a pretty hardcore Cubs fan <laughs> to the point where it actually hurts a lot. Like I love them, but I hate them at the same time because they're always promising and never delivering. They are completely certain that they're going to win the World Series this year based on the fact that it said that in Back to the Future 2. That is the most ridiculous <laughs> idea. I mean, what, what is it? So do they also believe that, you know what, apes are going to take over in the real uh, future and they're going to talk and we're all going to, you know I mean? Do they think every futuristic movie is prophetic? Well, it's just, this benefits them. <laughs> I guess. It does get you psyched up, though, man. There's a little bit of part of me that's like, yeah, they're totally going to win this year. <laughs> then the rest of me is like, you're an idiot, shut up. Yeah, I don't even get me started. I, w I was a fan of the other side of town team, so. Oh, yeah, I remember that. <laughs> um, and, of course, the clothes are pretty much going to be impossible. The shoes technically are, they exist, they just don't do the zip-up thing. Have you seen the, the Nike? Uh, yeah. Back to Future? Yeah, they're not even that expensive now. I think you can get a pair for 100 bucks. They're pretty cool, but I don't think I'd, I don't know. No, I might. I, 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 it's hard pressed not to go. Oh, really, I have a hundred bucks to burn. I, 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 yeah, I'm gonna get some. A <laughs> hundred bucks to go to a, towards a pretty good video card or something. <laughs> yeah, um, and I think this is this is the one that kind of gets overwhelmed with special effects, not just with the future part, but the part where Michael J. Fox is playing everybody in his family. That is just nuts. It's disturbing. Fox is not yeah. by any means, so I mean, at least he kind of looks like a girl. And it's not ridiculous. If Doc Brown had played a girl, I'd be like, nope, no. Oh my, that, don't. That was, that's horrifying. <laughs> and as we talked about earlier, this is the one that Crispin Glover got kicked out of because he made huge financial demands and creative demands. And yep. they're like, you know what? We're just going to cast a guy who kind of sounds like you, slap some makeup on his face, and hang him upside down. <laughs> no one will ever know. And then source old footage. <laughs> yeah, and 
Hell, man, that's was, awesome. I thought it was really clever, though, at the um, end when he goes back to the 50, how they interlaced the old footage, but also took different angles so that you uh-huh. could see that same scene from a different way. That was yep. really clever. That was awesome. The only part that I really don't like is the middle part. Not because it's dark, because, I mean, I can take a dark movie, but it felt out of place with Back to the Church. It really got dark. Right. And it was almost like Mad Max, Escape from New York, and they said, oh, well, this is our Empire Strikes Back. And I was like, no, Empire Strikes Back is a lot better than this one. <laughs> but um, I think having the cliffhanger at the end, where he goes to the Old West, is the one that I just... I was like, really? And then, they, and then the cool part is they actually show you footage yeah. of it so that you can get revved up for it. And they were so close together. I think they were like six months apart where they did two. Right. Did you see part two in the theaters? I, I believe I did. I didn't see that one. Here's the weird thing is I used to have a trend where I would get the books from the library and I would read the novelization of the movies. I saw a ton of movies or read a, a bunch of books like that. And then I would see the movie like a year or two later. I don't know I why I, I never bothered to go see the movie. I was just like, well, I got the book right here. It tells you the whole thing. I'm good. All right. Well, that's that's the big thing, right? The book is always better. I've done that one time when I, I think it was Star Trek Four. Yeah. I actually read the book first, I did which with... didn't come first. <laughs> <laughs> I did License to Drive, uh, Indiana Jones, The Last Crusade, Harry and the Hendersons, and uh, this one, Back to the Future. Apparently I have a thing with Steven Spielberg movies. Three of those were Steven Spielberg productions. Who's not a fan? I mean, really. I know, right? <laughs> um, but then I caught it on video, and then uh, I grabbed a bunch of the toys. For years, I had a little pen with the hoverboard on the back of it. Now, the, I the think hover- I had that, too. <laughs> yeah, the hoverboard it probably is the most iconic thing from part two. And I cannot tell if people are messing with me. Have you seen the videos online with Tony Hawk riding on a hoverboard? Yeah, that, that's a... It's a joke, isn't it? It's a joke, yeah. But it's very well done. It was very cool. (laughs) Do you think we'll ever have them? Uh, I think the technology might be there, but there's no control over something like that. Yeah. You know? You would have to install magnet rails everywhere. The best I think you could ever do is build a little park area, you know, with a bunch of rails and magnetic pieces or whatever that you could ride it on in safety. But no one's going to put that out on the sidewalk. You know, you would never be able to. Not like the the little girls in the future where they're riding them as, like, scooters. Right. That might work, but riding them like a skateboard? Yeah. It's so hard to control. <clears throat> exactly. You would. There was no way, but not without some other gadgets to go with it or something, but that's just my two cents. I'm so but. pumped. I just want to see one before I die. I just want to see one for real. I'll, I'll make you one. I'll make you a fingerboard. <laughs> that's not what I mean. <laughs> All right, so we're done with part two. We're ready to hop into part three. We'll take a brief break. A brief break. I just said brief break. trilogy and ends it on a strange note because it doesn't have a whole lot of futuristic elements it doesn't have a whole lot of back and forth in time it basically is all a western except for the very end i don't know if that's why the movie bombed or it's the cold reaction or the mixed reaction to part two that made the third one not do that well compared to the other two uh i didn't realize it bombed i shouldn't say bomb 
That's a ridiculous term, but it cost $40 million. It only brought back $89 million. So in the terms of budget, and especially compared to part two and one, you know, you can see that the audience just wasn't there anymore. Plus, I right. think Westerns have always had a limited audience. You don't see a whole lot of Westerns make tons and tons of cash. Right. But, That's sad. <laughs> but this one, in my opinion, is way, way better than part two. It is so focused. There's not a lot of flash and flair. And it's so endearing, especially the fact that you now get to focus more on Doc than Martin. Right. Definitely. I, I'm i a big fan of Westerns, so this movie by far is my favorite. Uh, and being able to see the more... The, I don't know. You get to see more of the uh, interaction, the, the, uh, like you said, the relationship, real interaction between the two. Yeah, the, uh, the, the third one and the first one are closer when it comes to taking a moment to breathe. Stop. There's a difference between story and plot. I, yeah. I mean, a plot is where it's just basically the pieces that keep you going. The, this is part of the plot. This is how we get through the story. But the story itself is how do all these things link together? How do we take these characters and make them work together? And that's why the first one and the third one are stronger because the second one is more like a, how do you say it? Duak, duak Machina? You know, oh, dang. I'm stupid. But it's whatever the driving mechanism is of the story, it seems like that's all part two is. It's just go, 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 go. And it's nice that the third one ended on a breather. Right. Because usually with trilogies, the last chapter is the one that's overloaded. And it's so much chaos. And you're just trying to wrap up this huge battle or whatever it is. But this is the one where they said, well, let's discover the origins of the McFly family. Um, of Hill Valley and stuff like that. And it's, it's really cool. Did you find it a little disturbing that Marty's great or great-great-grandpa or whatever he is. I can't remember, obviously. But uh, that his wife... Was played by someone who should have been in his mother's lineage. Yeah, well, that was the. I think that was the only way they're going to be able to tie. Because the movie always had uh, uh, payoffs, and this is the one where, like, well, we could cast somebody else, but we have nothing for Leah Thompson to do at all. So you know, they're right. just like, well, screw it. You know, some people actually marry people who look like their mothers or grandmothers and stuff like that. So I don't know if that was their line of thinking, like. People just tend to be attracted to the same kind of person. I don't know. I don't. I no. There's no rational. It's the same reason I can give you is why Marty hangs out with Doc Brown. It's one of those right. things that's just there. You just kind of gotta let it go. But it is weird. <laughs> it is weird. I've never thought of that before until I watched it last night. I'm like, um... oh yeah, I thought about that. Like, I don't know about five years ago when I was watching. Going, now wait a minute. No, that doesn't even make sense. And then I just <laughs> like, well, they probably had a contract and they had to give Leah Thompson something to do. So why not? <laughs> What would have been interesting, even though I love Mary Steenburgen, if, if they had made Leah Thompson, uh, Doc Brown's love interest, like age her up weird. a little bit. But then you're like, wait a minute, is Marty somehow related to Doc? You know? <laughs> right. And that would have been an interesting reveal. Like they, real, they realize, oh my God, you're my ancient uncle. You know, I'm like, <laughs> I'm my own grandpa. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. Yeah, and of course it has not just the fact that it's still part of the Back to the Future, but it has so much homages to Western films themselves. The fact that his name is Clint Eastwood. Yeah. What kind of dumb cowboy name is that? <laughs> like, everybody for ages around will think of the name of Clint Eastwood as the biggest coward. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I totally botched that line. <laughs> and the voice, but... <clears throat> 
But bringing the train element into it as well was a very interesting take because, you know, the car was severely damaged and they had no gasoline, so they had to come up with something. I thought, I just thought the, the third one was more clever because they were so restricted. With the second one, they're like, anything we think of, we can basically put on the screen. But the third one, they really had to crack down and like, okay, so we're actually giving ourselves a real test here to make something creative and original, but also very limited on where we can go with it. Right. I'll tell you what, uh, the train, when they, the train at the end, I should say, the train at the beginning, I love the trains, the old steam locomotives, but I'm a big steampunk fan. Yeah. So really love that train at the end. And of course, the third one ends with the DeLorean being destroyed, but a linchpin is pulled through. The train comes out of time with Marty, or with uh, Doc Brown, his wife, and now their two kids, Jules and Vern. And they have the locomotive that can travel. It's been modified, and it flies through the air, and that was one hell of a visual. It somehow triggers the crossing mechanism on the track. I didn't get that part. Yeah, I don't really understand <laughs> that either. It's not oh, touch, it's perfect. It's not Another one of those let it goes. <laughs> but, of course, that led into the cartoon. And this never really explained how they... I guess he just builds another DeLorean with the same technology, I guess. But how did... Did you like the cartoon at all? I... I I remember watching it, and I loved it just because of what it was. So, yeah, I was pretty easily entertained as far as, it, as that goes when I was yeah. a kid. Well, I was just watching it now, and I love the fact that they bring back most of the cast members. The only person who doesn't come back is Michael J. Fox. And um, the fact that you see uh, Doc Brown at the beginning, you know, Christopher Lloyd comes in for a minute at the beginning and a minute at the end. And also, I didn't realize this at the time. But they have Bill Nye, the science guy, teaching you actual science experiments. That is really cool. Really? Yeah, if you watch the very end of the episode, Bill Nye will come in and he'll show you how to create, like the first episode he, tell, he shows you how to make something magnetic. And at the end of every episode, he teaches you a really easy science experiment that you could do, say you were 9 or 10. Right. It was a high-minded cartoon. This is right as the revival of cartoons was going on, so the animation is very stylized. The writing is very funny. And the fact that they spent the budget to get the cast back um, was a really smart thinking. I just kind of bummed it only lasted two seasons. I was, as far as bringing the cast back, well, was it in syndication? Did they re rerun it a lot? Because back then you would never notice. Well, it, we was never, on, it was on never. CBS first, and then it went over to Fox in reruns. But no, it wasn't a regular syndicated show. It was only on for 26 episodes. Uh-oh. Well, you're just, talking about bringing the cast back. I've played the Back to the Future the game on the Wii? on the uh actually it's on pc okay. it was on steam and uh it's an episodic game have you played it no i haven't in fact i forgot about it. i don't have the wii and i just forgot i could i didn't realize you could do it on steam so i'm going to download it to the computer because i want to play it it's one of those uh, yeah. uh, point and clicks right yeah it's point and click it comes in i think six episodes maybe five i can't remember but it's very very cool i think but and um, anyway, the cast is like um <laughs> Sorry, something just fell off my shelf. <laughs> but uh, Doc's back. There's there's a guy that does Marty's voice. He does a really good job at it. Oh, oh, so Michael J. Fox doesn't come back. He he is back. He does a cameo, but he couldn't do a, to it all. Right, you know, understandably so. Which is cool. Well, he he plays an older gentleman, or maybe I shouldn't do the spoiler. And I'll, <laughs> I'll just tell you, he's in there somewhere. But, okay. uh, but anyway, definitely worth playing if you guys get a chance to try it. Do it. Now, they're talking about doing a part four, but it's going to be about Jules and Vern, which is the only way you can really do a part four. I don't want them to remake this. They, no. they, they, they thought about remaking this with uh, no. uh, Zac Efron or Bieber or something no. like that. 
Yeah, that would said, no. And everybody lost their minds. Like, <laughs> no way. But they said, um, even they even had Michael J. Fox's and Christopher Lloyd's blessing is that Robert Zemeckis is introducing uh, interested in producing uh, part four, which would be the start of a new trilogy where it's focused on Jules and Vern, and then Doc and Marty will just have cameos. That'd be interesting to see two brothers go through time trying to change things or whatever. It changes the uh, dynamic of the people. That's the only way I would accept it is if they continued it. I don't want to remake, and I don't want them to try to force Michael J. Fox out there when he's sick. Right. But if you continue the storyline with the next generation, I- I'm fine with that. I think I would be okay with that as well. As long as Spielberg and Zemeckis and Bob Gale are involved. I don't want some guy who doesn't have any writing credits or some director who did a bunch of music videos... You know, I don't want this heavily edited, fast-paced, overly CGI crap fest. Because, I mean, the second one was about special effects, and that's why it's the weakest one. Because Back to the Future movies are not about special effects. They're about the people. That's why it works. That's why it's timeless. That's right. right. I said they better get moving. Alrighty. So, that's it for us here at Full Throttle TV. We will be coming back with our regular episodes. Uh, Real soon, we're going to be doing Miami Vice. Uh, Nash Bridges and Houston Knights in a couple weeks here. But for now, I hope you guys enjoyed this special episode. This is Michael signing off. This is Ron. Good night, everybody. podcast mini so just like the cars we discuss this episode is gonna be fast and furious i'm your host michael my co-creator ron how's ron. i'm doing great yourself all right uh we want to fit this in before valentine's day because we are going to discuss the love bug uh film series and the wonderful iconic car that is the focus herbie you can hear the theme song <laughs> in the background still kind of going no. i kind of want to raise our production values we are entering year two of full throttle podcast Probably the last year. I think we'll cover everything we want to discuss this year and then move on to another topic. I think we're going to do full throttle sci-fi, talk about like spaceships and laser guns and you know time jumping kind of stuff. But you still got us for a while, so calm down. And I get to make up, I get to make up all my facts and not get in trouble for it. Then. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So twice we have been kind of ribbed a little bit about the facts. Some of it is uh, the perspective of how you see things, how we see things. Um, and sometimes we just miss detail. We apologize. We're just human. Uh, we try to focus on the shows, and then we just add as an extra piece, you know, details about the vehicle being used in the show or movie. Um, most of the time, people are like, all right, I get it. It's cool. Um, but seriously, we're just doing this for fun. We're not professionals. Hey, Mike. What? We need to pause. Okay. We need to pause. Good, everybody. We just we're good. started. We could we're start good. over. <laughs> yeah, we're good, everybody. No worries. We had a little bit of audio problem there, but um, all right, so... Let's discuss the Love Bug series, which expands to four movies, a TV show, and uh, another TV movie, and then uh, 
the one with um, Lindsay Lohan, which uh, is not a... None of these are reboots. They're all just sequels. It's just they keep using the name... They keep acting like they're reboots, so it's weird. Right. Um, yeah. So, basically, we start off with the original, 1968. You could tell from the theme music that it has that kind of, like, laughing uh, TV show kind of like, Hey, everybody, let's get happy. <laughs> Come on, <laughs> get happy. I felt like I felt like I needed to be wearing a grass skirt and or, or surfing or something along those lines. <laughs> so definitely, this is of the era. Um, movies were going in two different directions in the late '60s. There was the independent scene that was trying to change how films were done. They wanted more R-rated movies. In fact, I think it's from the first X-rated movie. Uh, uh, what's a cowboy one uh, with uh, John Voight? Urgh. I can't remember. It's, it's the one where you know Oscar-nominated film, Midnight Cowboy. You know, that was the first yeah. X-rated movie, and movies were starting to go a little darker. And then you realize there's a, there's a line in the middle, though, that families still needed to be served in these G-rated PG movies that were happy and positive and fun. And Love Bug seemed to hit right at the perfect time to get noticed or whatever and became this massive hit. Third biggest movie of the year, $50 million, which sounds like nothing now. But that must be what, like almost, uh, you're talking like Avengers numbers probably, like $400 million now. Right. And uh, the first one kind of sets the tone for the rest of the series. It's mostly about the car race. And Dean Jones pops in and out of the series on a, a consistent basis. Now, did you right. watch the, the first four movies? I uh, I watched the... Is that the first originals, right? Kirby, let's see. Ghost in a Yes, four. Okay, so I got all the way to halfway into Monte Carlo, and I haven't even seen Bananas yet. But I actually own them now. I bought the set off of Amazon, so... So I'll say this. The first two are really great. The second one takes yes. the concept. Uh, so the first one, of course, is the big car race. You know, they go to Monterey, which I used to live in Monterey, and cars are insanely popular there. They have shows all the time. If you ever get the chance, go there during a couple of their big events. Uh, Cherry Jubilee is probably the biggest one. Um, then the second one changes everything up while still being fun adventure. Is Now it's his... Uh, his grandmother has the car while Dean Jones goes on vacation. I think he, uh, I can't remember if he's getting married or something. And uh, so the car's with his grandmother. And then this uh, Ken Berry from F Troop and Mama's Family, he's the main star yes. this time around. Now, I'll say a little bit of it. It's that casting where you get two guys that look pretty similar so children don't get confused, which they did with the Planet of the Apes movies. Like, that guy looks a lot like Charlton Heston. But then Charlton Heston shows up. And you're like, wait, what? <laughs> what? What? Yeah, so Kenberry's the I'm focus so confused. of the sequel, and it's more about saving this lady's house from corrupt, like, uh, corporate types, you know? That was a lot of fun. I really liked that storyline. Um, how did you feel about the sequel? Everybody needs a grandma like her. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she was awesome. And I, I also, liked... Who's that guy? What's that? How they meet. The, the drunk guy on, on the trolley. They ends up helping her fight off the... at the end. The, I don't want to ruin it off for everybody, yeah, yeah, but... Yeah. He's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> the first two, I think, are excellent. The third one, I feel, uh, goes back a little bit by repeating the plot of the first movie, even with having Dean Jones come back. And then instead of Buddy Hackett, who I, I think is highly underrated. I love Buddy Hackett, especially his voice. Um, they get Don Knotts, who's no slouch in the comedy circle, but oh, no. um, it's just not the same to me. No. I, I, I can't say anything bad about Like I said, I can't say anything bad about Don Knotts. Somebody, Buddy Hackett definitely... I don't understand why they didn't do that, but 
I mean, was he too busy to be in part three, or maybe there was an issue? Maybe you know he did do I, his comedy kind of blue, so maybe that's why Disney said let's separate ourselves from this and let's get like you know someone wholesome everybody knows Don Knotts. Right. Could be. Could be. That, that's completely guessing. Uh, and then the yeah, fourth just... and final one, uh, Monte Carlo, is a rough one for me. I I could not finish it. I, it's. Uh, None of the original cast is with it. It's another car race movie, but the comedy is so forced. Even with great people like Cloris Leachman and Harvey Corman, I just felt like they were sweating the joke so hard that it wasn't funny. Was that it? Not the one. No, 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 no. Is it Monte Carlo or Goes Bananas? Which one does he get the name Ocho? Uh, that would the be kid? that would be Goes Bananas because that's all set in Mexico. Okay, that makes sense then. Okay, I always thought it was Monte Carlo, but. Eh. I don't know. For a car guy, you got, of course, they all have races in them, I think. No, no, Herbie Rides doesn't. Well, Herbie Rides, again, yeah, it does not have a car race. That's the one where he's fighting off the corrupt uh, political type uh, corporate guys. Keenan Wynn. Keenan Wynn. Best mustache ever. I want to say better mustache than Sam Elliott, which it's close. It's close. Yeah, it's right up there, at least for his era. Yeah. (laughs) But, yeah, I. I think for a car guy, as far as that goes, and uh, we want to call it car candy, whatever. Anyway, Monte Carlo was pretty good, if, and, if you like uh, classics. After the movies, there was a big gap between the first movie and the second movie, but then they would kind of, kind of come regular. Uh, clearly, by the time Herbie Goes Bananas came around, people were sick of it. Frankly, because I just don't think it's that good of a movie. So they tried to do a TV series. Dean Jones comes back, but only lasted six episodes. And good luck finding them, because Disney's hiding that. <laughs> they buried it. So you can't find it. It's in it's, the vault. Yeah, I don't know if it's any good or not, but it seems like, you know, Disney could uh, get it out there for the fans. They're, they dished a lot of the stuff they did in the 80s, um, because they don't need the money now. That Now they just buy properties, which bugs me. Because Love Bug was Disney's last, like, hands-on. He was involved in the pre-production, and of course he passed away before it was actually shot. But he was in development of the concept. And what it is now is Disney has no more interest in creating their own properties. They just buy stuff. They bought Marvel. They bought Lucas. They bought the Muppet. Um, they licensed Lone Ranger. It just, where is the original content that we loved Disney for in the first place? Right. I don't know. I was just thinking about that the other day. When I started looking up the Love Bug, thank you, by the way, because this is helping me relive my childhood and... <laughs> Introduce my kids to a, a bunch of wholesome Disney movies that actually exist out there. Yeah, that don't have people uh, punching each other in the face and things exploding, yeah. which is all of Disney now. I'm looking at old movies like That Darn Cat and, you know, those kinds of, that kind of fair. And we're just having a blast with Netflix and anyway. But yeah, I, I never really got to see a lot of the live action stuff. Actually, I haven't even seen a lot of the animated stuff they've done. I'm actually watching Black Cauldron right now for the first time, right before we started recording. Oh, I've never You've seen it never before. You've never seen that? Nope, I've never seen Oliver and Company. I, I start thinking about when did I start watching the Disney movies, and it seems like it was around the late 80s with the revival with uh, Little Mermaid. Started watching the animated mm. movies then, and then, of course, the live-action movies were so much fun. They had the Mighty Ducks series, which I am absolutely fascinated by. Oh, yeah. I love that series. Um, there's, like, Heavyweights, and uh, the da- I've seen That Darn Cat, the, the remake, but I've never seen the original. Yeah. Well, there's nothing like the originals. In my opinion, as far as the old Disney movies go, like uh, the Nutty Professor. I mean, they're good. The remakes uh, was the Absent-Minded Professor. Which one was Eddie Murphy in? Uh, Eddie Murphy was in the Nutty Professor, which is the Jerry Lewis movie. But then there's the Absent-Minded Professor with Fred McMurray, which was remade into Flubber with Robin Williams. Now I liked Flubber, 
don't get me wrong, but that's a movie I could have given, you know, I could take it or leave it yeah. type of thing because it didn't need to be remade. <clears throat> but, again, I, I don't want to go off on that tangent. But anyway, yeah, uh, I, will say this, I, I prefer those originals. Yeah, uh, I'm trying to find the Kurt Russell, the four or five movies that he did for Disney, you know, mm-hmm. before he became, like, um, more of a darker uh, adult star. And not adult star, that's not the words I want to use. Um, <laughs> uh, Escape from New York, you know, used cars, where clearly he was an adult and, and not doing these for little kids. That's what I mean, not porn. <laughs> uh, so it was a Kurt Russell movie that he did one of those Kurt Russell movies he did where they're running around in a, in a dune buggy and that's where I first started really loving those dune buggies and wanted one so bad yeah. I, I don't can't know which one it is. was but we'll have to look it up alright anyway, go on um, speaking of the originals let's talk about the original VW bug that was used in the first four movies and in fact there is a 1997 continuation with Bruce Campbell and me and Ron have are huge fans of Bruce Campbell um, oh yeah it is available on YouTube because Disney has decided to never put it out on DVD, apparently. So watch it there, and um, it's very entertaining, and it respects the original four movies, and it still uses the original VW Bug. Uh, what do you got on the V-Dub? What do I have on the V-Dub? Okay, I don't have... You guys are going to kill me. <laughs> I seem to have dropped the ball here. In all my research, I wasn't looking for stuff on that particular book. Please don't hurt me. Please don't hurt <laughs> but I will give you some interesting information on the bug itself. And I'm just a lot. There's a whole bunch. It's got a deep-rooted history that, um, if you really want to get uh, dive, dive into it, all kinds of information out there on the internet for it. Um, but I'll leave it with a few tidbits. Um, <laughs> we always have to be so careful with that word. We have to be so careful with that. <laughs> um, anyway, sorry, I had to throw that in there for you. Okay, so uh, what's cool thing? Fifty cool things about this bug, this beetle. This the beetle are, is one of the oldest monikers that is still in use today. This thing goes. Let's put this thing date back to 1934 is the origins of this car. Now I don't know when they started using the beetle name, so it, it was shortly after that, sometime when they actually released in 38. 34 is when it actually started being designed, and 38 is when the first cars were released. Uh, the Beetle name, I can't remember the name, what the German name is for Beetle and what they, they called that, that over there, but uh, uh, ended up being called the Beetle over here. The cool thing about this car, and another thing which isn't so cool, but it wouldn't be here today had it not been for this uncool factor, is the fact that Adolf Hitler had a big role in this car ever being made. Yipe, that's a first. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> the first episode we've ever done where the word Hitler even came up, period. Right? <laughs> it's the only thing I'm going to thank Hitler for. Sorry. <clears throat> uh, no skinheads come after me, please. Um, what was I going to say? Uh, he contracted Ferdinand Porsche, for those who can't pronounce it correctly. It's Porsche. I have never actually pronounced it that way. I don't know why I always say Porsche, even though I'm corrected on a regular basis. It's not like a food, you know, borscht, but not, anyway, is that soup? No. Um, anyway, I digress. No, I looked it up because I also, I was curious as to whether I was saying it correctly or not. I was, but wanted to make sure I got it right for all you listeners out there. Anyway, uh, but that's, the, Porsche is a name, it's a family name, and that's how they pronounced it on there, and in the commercials and everything, it's pronounced Porsche. That That is the correct way to say it. So, anyway, back to the task at hand. This is interesting. 
Porsche uh, was introduced to a car, or I see, uh, Hitler approached him and said, this Tatra V570 is the car that I want. As made another car made by another company, um, or developed by another company. I haven't delved into that too deep to figure out whether they produced it or not, but um, looking at the pictures of it, it looks an awful lot like the Beetle. And because of that, in 65, Volkswagen had to pay one million marks in German marks to uh, Tatra Ringenhofer for patent infringements because of it. Oh. Ouch. <laughs> now that's like, in 65 money in dollars, that's like 700 and something thousand dollars. I mean, it's, it's no chump change, but still. Anyway, so this car has a long history, like I said. Developed in 34, released in 30, what did I say, 8? And stopped being produced in like 2003, I think it was. Now, the Beetle itself was revamped finally in 1998, and that's when we got the new Beetle. That's the one that's in the new, the Herbie Fully Loaded. Yeah. No, no. No? I thought they used, uh, I thought they ha they started off with the old one and it got rebooted or whatever into a new one. I haven't seen this movie in a long time and I got, I, I don't really want to. <laughs> it's possible, yeah, he might have got transferred into a new body or something maybe. I don't know how that works, but, um, I have not watched, I've watched it once and vowed I'd probably never watch it again, so. <laughs> but it's possible, that might be, actually be in there, but actually they've actually, I say actually a lot, they've brought, they revamped the Beetle again. It still looks similar to the um, uh, the new Beetle. And uh, in, in my opinion, it looks a lot more manly. Still has that rounded look, but it sits slower, lower to the ground, a little more squatty. Um, I got a chance to sit in one. I still can't drive one because I have big friggin' feet. And if I get the clutch that I want, I'm still my pedals are tight and I'm hitting the transmission wall and all that crap. So um, were you I still can't drive one sadly. When you watch the Transformers live-action movie, were you a little pissed that uh, Bumblebee was no longer a Vita? I was. I was like, what is this I crap? Was. <laughs> I was. Not, not granted, don't give me, I love the Camaro, but why? <laughs> I know, it just, it's because of licensing. They, they paid a huge fee to have all of their cars put in the movie, and the studio said, well, VW doesn't want to pay us the same kind of money as you know the other company does, so I guess Bumblebee changes. But it also shows you that um, Michael Bay doesn't care about the original. He doesn't care. He just wanted a property that he oh. thought would look awesome on the screen. He didn't care about the history, really, or the look. No. I mean, he did get a new... I thought I shut that alarm off. Sorry. He did get a new fan base, I suppose, because my son is a big fan of the new Bumblebee. Yeah. Um, but that being said, who's the bigger fan base at this time? But I want to say, because the younger kids aren't really should should not really be watching those movies yet. No. Um, <laughs> so give them the cartoon. Who's the real man. fan give base them the here? <laughs> but anyway, I don't know. Um, I want to go. Off, I'll leave off because this is supposed to be a short episode anyway. Yeah. And I don't want to get too in depth in this. And like I said, all kinds of information on the history on this. And it's really really deep. Uh, but I will leave it at this. The original Type 1 is what they called it when they came out, uh, when they released it. It was called the Type 1. Um, nicknamed the Beetle, I think is what it was. Anyway, it sold over 21 million cars when production ceased in 2003 of the new Beetle. Now, of course, the Love Bug movies had to have helped. It had to have like boosted the sales, especially since the first one was so huge. Definitely. Well, that was 60s? 
68 is the first movie, and then the second one was in 74. And I was reading, um, and I'm going to interrupt you real quick. I don't know if you already have this information, but I was looking it up. It said the VW Bug was not originally meant to the car. They had uh, an idea of what kind of car they wanted, something short and cute. You know, and they looked at some Toyotas. They looked at a TVR. I don't even know what a TVR is. I'm not the car guy. Um, Volvos and an MG before they decided to look at the Beetle. And that's what they chose. But Volkswagen refused to give them the rights to the name. So they had to strip it off of the car. You know, and they also gave it that paint job to make it look a little different. It wasn't until they realized how big sales had boomed after the first movie. And they started to trickle down. And just as Disney decided to go back and make the sequel six years later, Volkswagen said, yes, take the name. We need to help promote this, you know. And that's when sales kept, you know, kept building back up through every sequel. Well, there's a reason that because their their sales were dropping around that time, too. So they, they really, they needed something to pick them back up again. Did you? Because uh, they, they they put all their they put all their ducks on the beetle. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, well, it wasn't, wasn't until, until the golf when, came around. Well, they had, they had the rabbit was popular when the '80s yeah. came around. So that kind of replaced the beetle in the '80s. Did you pay slug bug or punch buggy? Slug bug. Yeah, I think slug bug is an Indiana thing, like a um a heart of a uh, the heartland kind of way of saying it. I think on the coast they say punch buggy. I'm always curious to what people have. Like um, what is it we called it when the the first light was out? Perdiddle? Yeah. Yeah, so I've heard people say different things, and it's fun, kind of funny how it's regional. Like, co- uh, some people say cola, or soda, or pop, or soda pop. How it's certain things like that that become part of the mainstream, but are slightly different as you go along different places in the country. My daughter came up with another game called uh, something that had to do with yellow cars. I can't remember exactly <laughs> what it was. I don't know if she came up with it, or some friends and her came up with it. I don't know, but... That's more of a family thing, I guess. But. Yeah. Um, so in the 80s, I noticed that the VW Bug, playing Slug Bug got harder and harder to do as the years would go on. I think we started playing it when um, we used to go on the sales routes for the newspaper around 83, 84, mm-hmm. and we used to see one at least eight times a night. And then I noticed towards the end of those sales trips around 88, 89, get a lot harder. Uh, maybe there'd yeah. be one. <laughs> well, yeah. It clearly lost its popularity, so it needed that overhaul and the reboot in the 90s. Let's say they... When the car quit being made in Germany, it actually was still being made or picked up, production picked up again. I don't, I don't know the details on this. Again, you'll have to look it up, but it was being made in Mexico. Really? So, like, for many years, you could still get an original-looking Beetle hmm. when things were much more modern-looking these days. But it was brand-new, original-looking Beetle, beetle <laughs> made in Mexico. I but, wonder if it's be- because of the popularity of the V-Dub in... Um, Mexico is why they set the last one. Herbie goes bananas in Mexico. I wonder if that Could was be. part of a marketing promotion thing. I would. Listen, when was that? 1980. That makes sense. Yeah. But I don't yeah. have the dates on when that stopped being made. But, but like I said, I, I said the production stopped in 2003. I think that was production on the new Beetle. So when the production on the original one in Mexico stopped, I don't know. Um, wanted to correct myself on that. The, I, uh, I got one interesting. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, no. Uh, I said I had one interesting tidbit on how, what's the word I want to look for, precarious certain things can be. I don't know. The life of the beetle could have been gone within an instant if somebody would have made one false move trying to remove a bomb from the original factory that the uh, Allies had left. Whoa, what? (laughs) When the Allies raided the factory, because the factory had been retrofitted for Germany to build things for them for the war effort, and... 
there was an unexploded bomb. The Americans took over the factory, and then they handed over control of it to the Brits. And when um, one of the, I can't remember his name, first, I think was his last name, an officer of the army, first thing he did was get rid of an unexploded bomb that was precariously placed between two pieces of production equipment that was irreplaceable. Had that bomb blown up, we'd never see the Beetle again. Oh, my goodness. I had no idea. That's crazy. <laughs> it's like, but anyway. I guess that's cool thing is, it's like, what's that? No, the British, they, they had to, they wanted to, they were supposed to break everything down because they were trying, I don't know exactly the details on how they did everything after the war was done. Uh, as far as, I guess, putting Germany in their place or whatever. I don't know. Um, I, okay. I don't want to go too far into that cause I don't want to sound too political, but, uh, <laughs> the, they were going to move everything to Great Britain, but nobody wanted it. None of the automakers over there wanted the car. <laughs> the car that would become an icon. Yeah, I was like, that's weird. Yeah, so, thank you know, Germany is, I'm guessing, very thankful, especially Volkswagen, very thankful that that did not happen. But, anyway, that's all I've got. Um, I'm curious, is, uh, is the VW... Beetle reboot the first car to be successful, like an overhaul, because it didn't seem like that was a thing where they take an old car you hadn't seen in a while, kind of tweak its look, and bring it back into major production. And it and I remember being a huge hit, and all of a sudden you started seeing other cars like that pop up, like stuff you hadn't seen in decades. I think it helped re um, the small car market and was never really gone, but I think it started becoming more popular when either before or after. I don't know if it was a product of or just coincidence, whatever. But the smaller car market started becoming booming again in the United States yeah. when that Beetle, when the new Beetle came out. I, when did the smart car come out? I can't remember. But, uh, I want to say 2006, maybe? 2006, okay. Well, the new Beetles ended production in 2003, so that was prior to that. Yeah. But it seems to me, and I could be wrong, I don't, I've not looked up these numbers, but it seems to me like it wasn't as popular as they thought, obviously, because it was only what, five years in the making, and then they quit making it, so... I think at first it probably had a quick boost for those people who grew up with it, but then it died off pretty quick. Now the new, the new new beetle. I don't know what they call it now, <laughs> but the V Dub Extreme. Yeah, to me it is. It looks like well, to me the new beetle was not that the old beetle was very masculine looking anyway, but the new beetle always looked to me to be a chick's car, right? No, I mean, what do you call a chick's car? It, I mean, I know chicks who drive Mustangs and Camaros and love it, and then they have manuals, you know? So, um, but <laughs> I digress. It seemed like every time I turn around and see a new Beetle, it was never driven by a woman. It was always driven by a man. Yeah. Um, anyway, I'll leave you with that. Yeah, so I guess that's the end of this episode. Uh, we're going to try to do another mini-sode next. We're going to discuss the 30th anniversary of two car flicks that mixed, like, scares and excitement. Um we're going to discuss Black Moon Rising and The Wraith, which were both released 30 years ago yes. around, uh, what, January and February of 86. So I think it's perfect timing. We're going to keep doing the movie stuff. I think we're going to do Iron Eagle and Top Gun after that, and then we'll get back to the these shows. So everybody, thank you for checking out the show and supporting us. And we are on Facebook under Full Throttle Podcast. And this is Michael saying, be excellent to each other. And Ron, thank you. Take it easy. Was that two different phrases you combined into one? <laughs> Hasta la vista. See you later. I don't know. <laughs> All right, everybody. It have works. a good night. Time it took you to buy your ticket. 3.2 minutes. Time it took you to get your popcorn.
Everybody, welcome to Full Throttle Podcast. Yes, we know. We told everybody this series was over. But we're doing some movie specials here, here and there. Just a little, little sprinklings. Um, so this episode is a mini-sode. Uh, we're going to be talking about Gone in 60 Seconds, uh, both versions. And talk about, quickly, uh, the movies that were in between Gone in 60 Seconds and the remake. I'm your host, Michael. And my co-host, as always, Ron. Millingham. Millington, sorry. Oh. Millen, Millimal. Mickey Michael, Mickey, Mickey, Mickey Mouse, <laughs> melancholy. Oh, <sorry>. <laughs> um, MC Hammer in. <laughs> uh, so basically, uh, this one is just a quickie. Like I said, we're going to talk about the movies real quick. Uh, the Gone in sixty seconds, um, the original. Uh, I know is a huge hit. I know that it has a huge cult following. Spawn the remake, spawned a sequel. Sp- oh boy. It's not a good movie. <laughs> it's not a pretty movie at all. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> Great action, though. Great action. Terrible acting. Terrible, hideous level acting. It was one of those, uh, hey, fellas, I feel like doing something on the weekend. Uh, let, let's do this thing. Just have some fun with it. And <laughs> Yeah, H.B. Halicki uh, knew how to do a stunt. No joke. I mean, he could stage right. one hell of a chase sequence, but when it came to acting... And, and designing like anything like pleasant viewing, you know, like any sort of cinematography, no, just not there. And that's kind of yeah. like a lot of those low budget independent '70s movies, where it was like, uh, let's just get together whatever cash we have, let's make this movie, and it ends up like a surprise massive hit. I've seen a lot of these movies; most are terrible. It's usually a cousin of a friend of a, you know, to, to fill in spaces. It seems like to me. Yeah. Just- uh, I acted in the high school play. You're good. You're hired. <laughs> well, let's talk about a few of these like little movies that made tons of cash. I don't. I've I've seen only a few of them, but like uh, Billy Jack, uh, massive, yes. massive hit. It's entertaining, but it's not a well-made movie. No, it's well-intentioned <laughs> movie. Walking Tall, same thing. Well-intentioned. Oh boy, that uh, that's not a well-made film. <laughs> no. And then there's like those horror ones like Boggy Creek and Grizzly. That's what the 70s was filled with, like this drive-in entertainment made by these little guys. 
And instead of like pushing it out all in one weekend, like the big studios would, they would just like ship it around the whole country over and over and over. Start in the theaters, go to the drive-ins, go to the double feature of the drive-ins, go to the grindhouse. <laughs> and that's what one of these movies. Like, I bet you Gone in sixty seconds was in theaters for years. That's how it got to forty million dollars. You didn't get that over three weekends. You got that over three or four years worth of the the circuit. Right. How long did it go around the circuit of friends first, you know? Yeah, who knows? Parties, parties on weekend. Yeah. And... <laughs> um, and like I said, the, the first one is fine if you want mindless entertainment. I've seen his follow-up films. There's a collection from Mill Creek uh, that has The Junk Man, Deadline Auto Theft, and Gone in 60 Seconds 2. Have you seen any of them? I've seen The Junk Man, but I've not... I don't think I've seen two. Yeah, well. and he reuses a lot of footage. From yeah. the first movie in Junkman and Deadline Auto Theft. Another one of those brain dead, poorly made, but crazy action. But I want to talk about the one that he died on. Gone in 60 Seconds 2 with The Slicer. I don't know if you've seen even like a clip of this movie. But The Slicer is this really little car that was designed so that it could hit cars as hard as it could. And they would fly right over it. That sounds awful familiar. Yeah. it's And, and it's only like a 30 minute clip basically it's not a full movie they, they sell it as it's a full movie but it's not um basically it's the first action sequence and the whole thing is just nuts it's one of the craziest things and he destroys like 400 cars in like a 10 minute sequence <laughs> sounds like a hell of a film <laughs> <laughs> sadly uh stunt with a water tower um when they were setting it up he went to check it and, and i guess it collapsed and fell on him killing him instantly uh and right. the film was never finished was it, it killed him instantly? Yeah, God, I hope so. I, I would not want to be kind of killed by a water tower. You know, just like your whole bottom half crushed or something. I, I, I would want to go I quickly. Know. I don't know if I, I thought I read something in, something about his wife Denise, something along those lines about her having to, like he died on the way to the hospital. Or oh, something like I could be wrong about that, but I could have swore when I was looking it up after watching it that that's what happened. But uh, by the way, that's what killed him. Yeah, so, terrible. Yeah. D- genius design work. Um, it would be um, horrible to ignore what he did for the film industry and for cars, but like I said, they're not polished filmmaking. They're a little rough. No. I'd say it's one of those movies you, you dig out of your archive once a year, yeah. unless you're a diehard Hillicky fan, and then, you know. But <laughs> I said, this Slicer thing looks like, what What was the movie they did? Uh, actually, it was one of the Gaunt, uh, Fast and Furious movies. They did something similar. Right. Oh, right. Um... Shoot, what was I think that was one of the more recent ones, like six or something like that, where they had a little so. little vehicle like that right. and they did this little stunt. I can't remember. I thought it was like on the bad guys. You know how they had the British bad guy in part six? I think he's the mm-hmm. one that had that kind of vehicle. Right. So it was gone so it was Fast and the Furious, what, fourteen? <laughs> um Blesser is gonna continue forever and ever, as long as Vin Diesel's <laughs> like, I right, get my crutches out, I can still drive <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I'll I'll keep we'll keep watching it probably, but he gets pulled over and shows his AAA card and my AARP card and <laughs> my Medicare card. Um, yeah, I think that was the one that they, they had a, uh, an homage, I would say, to Gone in 60 Seconds too. Uh, right. Is there anything you want to say about any of the vehicles from the original films? The original film, all I could say is that, man, there's a whole lot of argument back and forth on whether this is a 71 or a 73 car. Is <laughs> it? The difference between the two movies is it was a Mach 1 in the first one, and it was supposed to be a GT350 in the second one, right? Yeah, I think so. And, but 
the debates are heated on whether or not it's a 71 original or 73 original, but I'm inclined to say it was a 71, and it was decorated to look like a 73 to bring it up to the modern times the movie was going to be released in. So, anyway, that being said... (laughs) That being said, let's talk about the Superior remake. And I know people hate remakes, but there are some good remakes out there. Let's talk about, like, the great horror remakes. The Fly, the Blob, and the Thing. Amazing! And Gone in 60 Seconds 2 is a Superior remake. Definitely. It's like, it, there's more. There's a storyline. I think that makes it all the. It, it's two very different movies, in my opinion. Yeah, um, the, the bare bones are kind of there, but you get yeah. that's what remakes should be. They should be taking. Um, it could have been a contender kind of film. Like, oh, this was good, but it could have been great. And they grab yes. it and they build upon that mythology. I hate it when they take a movie that should never be remade. Like it was fine the way it was. It really didn't have any like. Well, if they had done this or they could have changed that, you know. Those movies should be remade, but um, yeah, Gone in sixty seconds too. Uh, Jerry Bruckheimer, of course, the king of like awesome action movies around this time. The Rock, Armageddon, Con Air, um, and you know, I was like, uh, Bad Boys, Bad Boys Two. I-, I could leave Bad Boys Two yeah, behind. I know people love that, but I can't stand it. <laughs> uh, I'm with you. Yeah, Sorry. Scott Rosenberg, I believe he wrote Gross Point Blank and Con Air. And then was this was his follow up, and uh, really great writer, really fleshed it out. I'm so, I'm in love with this movie. I've seen it about 800 times. <laughs> Probably saw it in the theater three times at least. But yeah, I I'm actually sorry. don't <laughs> think I saw it until home video. Um, but this is one of those things that you see on AMC or TNT like every month for a reason. It's so insanely watchable. It's not just yes. about the cars. It's look at that cast. Holy schmoles! How does he get so many great actors? I don't know how he does it. So. I look at it now, and watching it for this uh, show, I realize Doctor Who's in it. I'm like, for the longest time, I thought it was... Some, for those of you who don't know, Doctor Who, when the series was rebooted... Um, oh, crap, I forgot his name. Christopher Eccleston. <laughs> Christopher Eccleston was the first Doctor Who to bring it back into the modern uh, modern day. But anyway, I, I for the longest time, I thought Fines in my head, Fines was in that movie, and I don't know why. Yeah, uh, that well, tells you. I can see that. I can totally see why you get confused on that, because they, they seem kind of... Some, we're talking Ray Fines, right? Not Joseph, because Joseph's a pretty boy. Right. <laughs> um, well, we got Nicolas Cage in his prime before everybody turned their backs on him. I will watch any movie right. with Nicolas Cage. He's got a couple stinkers in there, but they're usually really entertaining stinkers. Right. Uh, we got Angelina Jolie. Uh, just got her Oscar nomination. Um with the weird dreads, which I'm not so hot about. <laughs> not so cool. Yeah, it looks weird. <laughs> uh, Robert Duvall, who has never been bad in anything. He's always great. All the way back to the beginning, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, and he was one it of those... It? He's like that wise leader that you always need in these kind of films. You know, you got the hothead, you got the... the um, what are you going to say, the reluctant hero, and then you got, like, the wise old sage, and you definitely need Robert Duvall in that kind of role. He, he just ace at it. Got a question. Yeah. There's, there's a James Duvall in this movie. Is he any relation? Oh, I didn't think about that. James Duvall, he was kind of a thing for a few years. Mostly people know him from Independence Day. You know, he was um, All right. uh, Randy Quaid's kid. Um, I don't know if they're related. I, I should look that up, because that seems like it would make sense. I was just... Scrolling down through here, just made, it reminded me. We got uh, yeah. Giovanni Ribisi as his little brother, which I'm not buying that they're related in any way whatsoever. They don't look anything alike. 
Two, two different dads? No, I don't know. Maybe. Who Wait. knows? They never explained that part. Um, who else we got? We got uh, Chai McBride, who was great in The Frighteners. Um, excellent on Boston Public. If anybody remembers that TV show, he was the principal. Vinny Jones. Vinny Jones as the Sphinx, <laughs> who doesn't say anything <laughs> except at the very end. Very end. He's very, he's very deep. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I can't, uh, we got Scott Kahn. Um, yeah. Timothy Oliphant, and then uh, uh, Delroy Lindo on the other side as the cops, who are great. I love their relationship. Uh, you believe that there could be a whole other movie with those two, and I would watch it. Yeah, definitely. I don't think I miss anybody else, like any major cast members. Am I? I think we got everybody. What was the, oh, oh, the oh. cop? Uh, you already said that. Well, he's got the blonde hair, the comb over. He was in uh, Remember the Titans and The Punisher. Uh, Will Patton. Will Patton's good in it, too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But let's get to you the point Tim- of this whole movie. The cars. The cars. Well, the car. The bear. <laughs> <laughs> you you got to excuse me, guys and gals, for not going through the whole freaking list of cars. No, I'd be, we'd be here for an hour. But that's kind of insane right, how many cars so. they have to get. <laughs> <laughs> there are some less ones in here, though. Uh, but we'll just stick to the, you know, the girl, the the main character here, what it's all about. <laughs> Eleanor. <clears throat> to me, this is what Eleanor should have been. And I don't know what it is. They made this big mystique thing about it. Okay, this is her, uh, what they call that. Uh, every time he tried to steal her, something happened, you know, something bad luck charm or anyway. But, um. And maybe that could be any car. Heck, it could be a Honda Civic. Who knows? But anyway, <laughs> to me, that'd be a bad luck charm. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to get that gremlin. <laughs> Why are you so obsessed with this gremlin? Well, the pacer was bad luck. No, this is stupid. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, here's something that, interesting tidbit about this one. I, I found out that a lot of people said that this car was designed by Chip Foose. And then I heard people say, no, it wasn't designed by Chip Foose. And blah, 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 blah. But it turns out everybody's right. It's nice when you do a little bit of digging. Yeah. It turns out that this car was actually designed by a man named Steve Stanford. Very laid-back guy, very private guy, very non-on-the-internet type of guy. The only reason you could find him out there now is because some fans approached him, and he's allowed them to, to create a Facebook page with some of his art and what have you. But oh, that's cool. He's a big hot, like hot rod designer and what have you. But anyway, so he designed the car. And then Chip Foose did take the car, added a couple tweaks here and there after he put it to clay. And then it got shipped off to apparently the only people who make cars for anybody anymore, Cinema Vehicle Services. Huh. They've made uh, Austin Powers Shaguar. <laughs> Shaguar. <laughs> I never caught that before. <laughs> the Shaguar. That's love. Uh 2005's Herbie. <laughs> I don't know how that's any different from any other Herbie, but they built that one. It's got Bluetooth. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's it. We just uh, took the old car. We slapped a little Bluetooth in there. We're done. We're Here's my paycheck. Be... <laughs> GPS. Let's see. Starsky and Hutch's. Uh, Starsky's Ford Gran Torino. The Striped Tomato. Uh, the General Lee from the 05 version of the Dukes of Hazard. The Black Booty from Booty. The Black Beauty. <laughs> it's just two big butt cheeks on the end. You sit in each one, <laughs> and it runs on gas. <laughs> oh my! <laughs> Stay in front of that one. Um, you know, that's from the 2011 version. So I'm starting to see a trend here. They're all movies that you know how I feel about these movies. Aside, the cars are what's important here, and they were all. 
pretty awesome in my opinion. Yeah, so. that Black Beauty. I actually like the Green Hornet. Oh, oh yeah, it's different oh, than the TV yes. show, but man, that that car is beautiful. Dude, magnifico. <laughs> now they built twelve Eleanors for this movie. Oh, <laughs> they needed them at the switch at the end. Oh my god. <laughs> How many actors do you think they had? Like, oh crap, go get grab, grab another one. <laughs> Let's see, somewhere, I run in here somewhere, but uh, how many has actually survived is the question we need to know. <laughs> you know that he has at least one of them. Right. Um, I believe one was actually built for uh, Nick. Was it not Nick? The um, director, I think. It was actually built outside of everything for him. Um, dang it, I know I wrote that in here. But anyway, um, what's under the hood? Everybody wants to know that, right? Yeah. The most recreated car since the Shelby Carborough was Eleanor, this version of Eleanor. Uh, it's a 351, 400-horsepower uh, Ford crate motor with a four-speed manual, power steering and brakes, so no longer classic. <laughs> this, is what, it's the epitome, this is what kicked off the uh, retro rod, or a lot of people like to attribute it to it, uh, what kicked off the retro rod movement, if you will. Um, I think I'm using the right term. Essentially, that's people taking older cars, and putting modern underpinnings underneath it so it actually handles like a modern car. Hmm. But is uh, that legit? Me, is that kind of... Well, here's the thing. From... Hmm. Here's the thing. I said people... These, there's the Conqueror's guys, and I agree, you know, they, they, they can have their thing. That's fine. And then those people like to actually have, I don't know, to be able to go out on the interstate and make a turn and not have to, you know, <laughs> have Arnold biceps to do that turn. Well, that's true. <laughs> Well, no, on the highway, it's not an issue. It's when you try to turn it in your own damn driveway. That... <laughs> what happened? I threw my shoulder out again. I can't drive it. <laughs> but I don't know. I, I I like both sides of the fence there. But honestly, I'd take an Eleanor over the original any day. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> but this car was equipped with nitrous, but it was not functional. The go baby go button that was actually in the car was actually a line lock. That's what you use to lock everything down so you can do a burnout. Oh. Hmm. <laughs> People I know nothing about cars. That's why I have him on the show. I know stuff about movies. <laughs> anyway, so anyway, that's that's about all I got on that. It's it, it, essentially that button was the exact opposite of go. <laughs> Yeah, this anyway. movie is credited with saving um, Nicolas Cage's career. He had done three or four flops after Con Air, and this carried him through some more flops until he got to National Treasure, and obviously after National Treasure 2 saved him again, <laughs> there's nothing left. There's no National Treasure 3, there's no Gone in 60 Seconds 2, which is surprising. I mean, I know the first one cost a lot of money, and the second, you know, it, it, I think it cost like $80 million and it only made like 120 or something like that. But you would think, now that he's kind of lower cost and more direct-to-video, you would think that they would be lining up to make a bunch of these. Right? And I don't if, know. And if not that, get Billy Zane. Just slap a wig on him, too. It works all the same. <laughs> I like Billy Zane. <laughs> Billy, I don't know. He could do anything. He could pull anything off. <laughs> Still needs to be Lex Luthor. I'm stunned to this day that no one's ever cast Billy Zane as Lex Luthor. It's mind-boggling. Maybe he looks he just can... like him. It's me. I've been a YouTube man. He could do his own. No kidding. Just the Lex Luthor like <laughs> diary, like his daily log or something like that. Yes. Do it. Do it. That would be do awesome. it in a comical way. Like all, it's all about his frustrations with dealing with superheroes, not so much the actual <laughs> adventures, like the aftermath. <laughs> <laughs> 
the mundane day of Lex Luthor. The... <laughs> uh, so yeah, Gone in 60 Seconds. One of the good remakes. Like I said, it's a shorter episode. We're at 22 minutes, so hey, everybody. Check us out on Facebook under Full Throttle Podcast. Everything is over on Retro Rocket Entertainment, which is uh, the parent company for all our podcasts that we do, which my co-host did the art for. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Hire him. <laughs> Um, we said that back in January we were going, or in January we were going to launch our new show, Full Throttle Sci-Fi. Things have kind of held up a little yeah. bit. Part of it's because you're working so much now, I'm working so much now. The stupid rain keeps getting in the way. Recordings get ruined, and uh, yeah, you know, a little bit life gets in the way. Yeah, you got kids. <laughs> I got a dog, so. No. I got more time, I guess. Um, but we will get event get to it eventually. Um, just right now, we're kind of doing some filler episodes. Uh, kind of still realizing that we have more to talk about on Full Throttle. It's not just about the TV shows. It's also about the movies. So it's not really right. Full Throttle TV anymore. It's more like Full Throttle, just the podcast. Just Full Throttle. We could do that. Yeah, I mean, there's so many more movies we can discuss. There's all the James Bonds. There's the Fast and Furious. Um, what, what we could movie? do a whole year on James Bond. I know. Yeah. Uh, Vanishing Point. Uh, that was another excellent remake. Oh. Um, what else we got? There's so many others. And there's kind of the crappy ones like Stroker Ace. <laughs> and, uh, what was that Ron that? Howard movie? Where the, oh, what was that one? Rush? Oh, yeah, I can't remember. Car Racing? Or Grand yeah. Theft Auto. Is that the one where he steals the race car and they go for a joyride? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's yeah. that, and then there's um, what is the one with Kenny Rogers? Six Pack. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of movies we can discuss. I love that one. But our next episode is going to be about truckers. Now we won't really have any details about the trucks, which I know if you guys are fans of the show, you probably love that part. We're just going to discuss trucker films. You know what we like about them, and the ones that are worth mentioning, the ones that we won't even waste our time on. <laughs> All right, so that is it for us here. Ron, send us out. Send us out. I don't know. Hasta la vista. I don't know. No, we need a slogan. Hello, we baby. Need a... Hello. We do need. We need music. Yeah, yeah. that's what we need. We need we like need a, a awesome slogan and like some like some revving uh, music. You know, I mean, I don't want Metallica mm. suing us, so we can't do that. And Megadeth knows Metallica, so we can't use high speed dirt. Hmm. So I guess maybe. We'll just... Maybe my gears need to be start spinning on this shit on keyboard over here. <laughs> Maybe we call it a theme song. All right, uh, but seriously, send us out. Say something nice to the people. Say something nice to people. Thank you all for sticking with us through the thick and thin and the long pauses between. And uh... <laughs> yeah, yeah, long pauses. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> all right, good night. Good night. I'll just make up some music. I should find some old hee-haw music, maybe. I'm sure there's some, like 80 songs of that show per episode. I wish we could play some of that. <laughs> hey, actually, I know what we'll do. We'll play a little bit of the song that's going to start off the next episode. What's that? That was like a preview? Okay, that's not really a theme song. I didn't realize it started. I forgot it started with so much talking. Forget it, we're out of here!
Welcome to Full Throttle Podcast. Yes, we know. We told everybody this series was over. But we're doing some movie specials here. Here and there. Just a little, little sprinklings. Um, so this episode is a mini-sode. Uh, we're going to be talking about Gone in 60 Seconds, uh, both versions. And talk about, quickly, uh, the movies that were in between Gone in 60 Seconds and the remake. I'm your host, Michael. And my co-host, as always, Ron. Millingham. Millington, sorry. Millen. Millimal. Mickey, Michael, Mickey, Mickey, Mickey Mouse. Milling <laughs> Collie. Oh, sorry. <laughs> um, MC Hammer in. <laughs> uh, so, basically, uh, this one is just a quickie. Like I said, we're going to talk about the movies real quick. Uh, the Gone in 60 Seconds, um, the original, uh, I know is a huge hit. I know that it has a huge cult following, spawned the remake, spawned a sequel. Sp- oh, boy. It's not a good movie. <laughs> it's not a pretty movie at all. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> Great action, though. Great action. Terrible acting. Terrible, hideous level acting. It was one of those, uh, hey, fellas, I feel like doing something on the weekend. Uh, let, let's do this thing. Just have some fun with it. And <laughs> Yeah, H.B. Halicki uh, knew how to do a stunt. No joke. I mean, he could stay to right. a hell of a chase sequence, but when it came to the acting... And, and designing like anything like pleasant viewing, you know, like any sort of cinematography, no, just not there. And that's kind of uh-huh. like a lot of those low budget independent '70s movies, where it was like, uh, let's just get together whatever cash we have, let's make this movie, and it ends up like a surprise massive hit. I've seen a lot of these movies; most are terrible. It's usually a cousin of a friend of a, you know, to, to fill in spaces. It seems like to me. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I acted in the high school play. You're good. You're hired. <laughs> well, let's talk about a few of these like little movies that made tons of cash. I don't. I've I've seen only a few of them, but like uh, Billy Jack, uh, massive, yes. massive hit. It's entertaining, but it's not a well-made movie. No, it's well-intentioned <laughs> movie. Walking Tall, same thing. Well-intentioned. Oh boy, that uh, that's not a well-made film. <laughs> no. And then there's like those horror ones like Boggy Creek and Grizzly. That's what the 70s was filled with, like this drive-in entertainment made by these little guys. And instead of like pushing it out all in one weekend like the big studios would, they would just like ship it around the whole country over and over and over. Start in the theaters, go to the drive-ins, go to the double feature of the drive-ins, go to the grindhouse. (laughs) 
And that's one of these movies. Like, I bet you Gone in 60 Seconds was in theaters for years. That's how it got to $40 million. You didn't get that over three weekends. You got that over three or four years worth of the, the circuit. Right. How long did it go around the circuit of friends first, you know? <laughs> Who knows? Parties, parties on weekend. Yeah. And... <laughs> Um, and like I said, the, the first one is fine if you want mindless entertainment. I've seen his follow-up films. There's a collection from Mill Creek uh, that has The Junk Man, Deadline Auto Theft, and Gone in 60 Seconds 2. Have you seen any of them? I've seen The Junk Man, but I've not... I don't think I've seen two. Yeah. yeah. And he reuses a lot of footage from yeah. the first movie in Junk Man and Deadline Auto Theft. Another one of those brain-dead poorly made but crazy action but i want to talk about the one that he died on gone in 60 seconds 2 with the slicer i don't know if you've seen even like a clip of this movie but the slicer is this really little car that was designed so that it could hit cars as hard as it could and they would fly right over it that sounds awful familiar yeah it's and, and it's only like a 30 minute clip basically it's not a full movie they, they sell it as it's a full movie but it's not um, basically, it's the first action sequence, and the whole thing is just nuts. It's one of the craziest things, and he destroys like 400 cars in like a 10-minute sequence. That <laughs> sounds like a hell of a gate film. <laughs> <laughs> Sadly, a uh, stunt with a water tower. Um, when they were setting it up, he went to check it, and, and I guess it collapsed and fell on him, killing him instantly. Uh, and right. the film was never finished. Was it, it killed him instantly? Yeah, God, I hope so. I, I would not want to be kind of killed by a water tower. You know, just like your whole bottom half crushed or something. I, I, I would want to go I quickly. Know. I don't know if was, I thought I read something in, something about his wife Denise, something along those lines about her having to, like he died on the way to the hospital. Oh, or something like I could be wrong about that, but I could have swore when I was looking it up after watching it that that's what happened. But uh, by the way, that's what killed him. Yeah, so, terrible. Yeah. D- genius design work. Um, it would be um, horrible to ignore what he did for the film industry and for cars, but like I said, they're not polished filmmaking. They're a little rough. No, I'd say it's one of those movies you you dig out of your archive once a year, yeah. unless you're a diehard Hulky fan, and then you know. But <laughs> I said this slicer thing looks like what? What was the movie they did? Uh, actually, it was one of the Gaunt, uh, Fast and Furious movies. They did something right. Oh, right. Um... Shoot, what was I think that was one of the more recent ones, like six or something like that, where they had a little so. little vehicle like that, right. and they did this little stunt. I can't remember. I thought it was like on the bad guys. You know how they had the British bad guy in part six? I think he's the mm-hmm. one that had that kind of vehicle. Right. So it was gone. So it was Fast and the Furious. What fourteen? <laughs> um, Blaster is going to continue forever and ever, as long as Vin Diesel's <laughs> like, I right, get my crutches out, I can still drive. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I'll, I'll keep. We'll keep watching him probably, but. He gets pulled over and shows his AAA card and my AARP card and <laughs> my Medicare card. Um, yeah, I think that was the one that they they had a uh, an homage, I would say, to Gone in sixty seconds too. Uh, right. Was there anything you want to say about any of the vehicles from the original films? The original film. All I could say is that man, there's a whole lot of argument back and forth on whether this is a seventy one or a seventy three car. Is it? The difference between the two movies is it was a Mach 1 in the first one, and it was supposed to be a GT350 in the second one, right? Yeah, I think so. And, but the debates are heated on whether or not it's a 71 original or a 73 original. But I'm inclined to say it was a 71, and it was decorated to look like a 73 to bring it up to the modern times the movie was going to be released in. So, anyway... 
That being said... <laughs> that being said, let's talk about the Superior remake. And I know people yes. hate remakes, but there are some good remakes out there. Let's talk about like the great horror remakes. The Fly, the Blob, and the Thing. Amazing! And Gone in 60 right. Seconds 2 is a Superior remake. Definitely. Let's yeah. say, there's more. There's a storyline. I think that makes it all the... It, it's two very different movies, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, the, the bare bones are kind of there, but you get, yeah. that's what remakes should be. They should be taking, um, it could have been a contender kind of film. Like, oh, this was good, but it could have been great. And they grab it yes. and they build upon that mythology. I hate it when they take a movie that should never be remade. Like it was fine the way it was. It really didn't have any like, well, if they had done this or they could have changed that, you know, those movies should be remade. But, um, yeah, Gone in 60 Seconds 2, uh, Jerry Bruckheimer, of course, the king of like, Awesome action movies around this time: The Rock, Armageddon, Con Air, um, and you know, I was like, uh, Bad Boys, Bad Boys Two. I, I could leave Bad Boys Two yeah, behind. Boys, I know people love that, but I can't stand it. <laughs> uh, I'm with you. Yeah, Sorry. Scott Rosenberg, I believe he wrote Gross Point Blank and Con Air, and then was this was his follow up, and uh, really great writer, really fleshed it out. I'm, so, I'm in love with this movie. I've seen it about 800 times. <laughs> Probably saw it in the theater three times at least, but. Yeah, I actually don't think I saw it until home video. Um, but this is one of those things that you see on AMC or TNT like every month for a reason. It's so insanely watchable. It's not just yes. about the cars. It's look at that cast. Holy schmoly's! How does he get so many great actors? I don't know how he does it. So I look at it now and watching it for this uh, show. I realized Doctor Who's in it. I'm like for the longest time, I thought it was. So- for those of you who don't know, Doctor Who, when the series was rebooted, um, oh crap, I forgot his name. <laughs> Christopher Eccleston. Christopher Eccleston was the first Doctor Who to bring it back into the modern uh, modern day. But anyway, I, I for the longest time I thought Fines in my head, Fines was in that movie, and I don't know why. Yeah, uh, that's well, actually... I can see that. I can totally see why you get confused on that because they they seem kind of similar. We're talking Ray Fines, right? Not Joseph, because Joseph's a pretty boy. Right. <laughs> um, well, we got Nicolas Cage in his prime before everybody turned their backs on him. I will watch any movie right. with Nicolas Cage. He's got a couple stinkers in there, but they're usually really entertaining stinkers. Right. Uh, we got Angelina Jolie. Uh, just got her Oscar nomination um, with the weird dreads, which I'm not so hot about. <laughs> not so cool. Yeah, it looks weird. <laughs> uh, Robert Duvall, who has never been bad in anything. He's always great. All the way back to the beginning, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, and he was one of those... He's like that wise leader that you always need in these kind of films. You know, you got the hothead, you got the... the, um, What are you going to say? The reluctant hero, and then you got like the wise old sage. And you definitely need Robert Duvall in that kind of role. He he just ace at it. Got a question. Yeah. There's there's a James Duvall in this movie. Is he any relation? Oh, I didn't think about that. James Duvall, he was kind of a thing for a few years. Mostly people know him from Independence Day. You know, he was um, right. uh, Randy Quaid's kid. Um, I don't know if they're related. I, I should look that up because that seems like it would make sense. I was just scrolling down through here. It just made, it reminded me. We got uh, yeah. Giovanni Ribisi as his little brother, which I'm not buying that they're related in any way whatsoever. They don't look anything alike. <laughs> <laughs> two, two different dads? No, I don't know. Maybe. Who Wait. knows? They never explained that part. Um, who else we got? We got uh, Chai McBride. 
who was great in The Frighteners, um, excellent on Boston Public. If anybody remembers that TV show, he was the principal. Vinny Jones. Vinny Jones as the Sphinx, <laughs> who doesn't say anything <laughs> except at the very end. <laughs> also, very, 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 it's very deep. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I can't, uh, we got Scott Kahn. Um, yeah. Timothy Oliphant, and then uh, uh, Delroy Lindo on the other side as the cops, who are great. I love their relationship. Uh, you believe that there could be a whole other movie with those two, and I would watch it. Yeah, definitely. I don't think I miss anybody else, like any major cast members. Am I? I think we got everybody. What was the, oh, uh, the oh. cop? Uh, you already said that. Well, he's got the blonde hair, the comb over. He was in uh, Remember the Titans and The Punisher. Uh, Will Patton. Will Patton's good in it, too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But let's get to you the point Tim- of this whole movie. The cars. The cars. Well, the car. The bear. <laughs> You, you gotta excuse me, guys and gals, for not going through the whole freaking list of cars. No, I'd be, we'd be here for an hour, but that's kind of insane right, how many cars so. they have to get. <laughs> there are some less ones in here, though. Uh, but we'll just stick to the, you know, the girl, the the main character here, what it's all about. <laughs> Eleanor. <clears throat> to me, this is what Eleanor should have been, and I don't know what it is. They made this big mystique thing about it. Okay, this is her. What they call that? Uh, Every time he tried to steal her, something happened, you know, something bad luck charm or anyway, but, um, and maybe that could be any car. Heck, it could be a Honda Civic. Who knows? But anyway, <laughs> to me, that'd be a bad luck charm. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to get that gremlin. <laughs> Why are you so obsessed with this gremlin? Well, the pacer was bad luck. No, this is stupid. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, here's something that, interesting tidbit about this one. I, I found out that, a lot of people said that this car was designed by Chip Foose, and then I heard people say, no, it wasn't designed by Chip Foose, and blah, 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 blah. But it turns out everybody's right. It's nice when you do a little bit of digging. Yeah. It turns out that this car was actually designed by a man named Steve Stanford, a very laid-back guy, very private guy, very non-on-the-internet type of guy. The only reason you could find him out there now is because some fans – approached him and he's allowed them to to create a facebook page with some of his art and what have you but that's cool he's a big hot like hot rod designer and what have you anyway so he designed the car and then chip foos did take the car added a couple tweaks here and there after he put it to clay and then it got shipped off to apparently the only people who make cars for anybody anymore cinema vehicle services huh they've made uh austin powers shaguar (laughs) shaguar (laughs) I never caught that before. <laughs> the Shaguar. That's love. Uh, 2005's Herbie. <laughs> I don't know how that's any different from any other Herbie, but they built that one. It's got Bluetooth. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's it. We just uh, took the old car. We slapped a little Bluetooth in there. We're done. We're Here's my paycheck. <laughs> GPS. Let's see. Starsky and Hutch's. Uh, Starsky's Ford Gran Torino. The Striped Tomato. Uh, the General Lee from the 05 version of the Dukes of Hazard. The Black Beauty from Booty. The Black Beauty. <laughs> it's just two big butt cheeks on the end. You sit in each one, <laughs> and it runs on gas. <laughs> oh my! <laughs> Stay in front of that one. Um, anyway, that's from the 2011 version. So I'm starting to see a trend here. They're all movies that you know how I feel about these movies. Aside, the cars are what's important here, and they were all. Pretty awesome, in my opinion. Yeah, so. that Black Beauty. I actually like the Green Hornet. Oh, oh, yeah. It's different oh, than the TV yes. show, but, man, that, that car is beautiful. Magnifico. 
Now, they built 12 Eleanors for this movie. Oh, they needed all that, especially at the end. Oh, my God. <laughs> How many actors see, do you think they had? Like, oh, crap. Go get, grab, grab another one. Let's see. Somewhere I read in here somewhere, but... Uh, how many has actually survived is the question we need to know. <laughs> you know that he seen. has at least one of them. Right. Um, I believe one was actually built for uh, Nick. Was it not Nick? The um, director, I think. It was actually built outside of everything for him. Um, dang it, I know I wrote that in here. But anyway, um, what's under the hood? Everybody wants to know that, right? Yeah. The most recreated car since the Shelby Carborough was Eleanor, this version of Eleanor. Uh, it's a 351, 400-horsepower uh, Ford crate motor with a four-speed manual, power steering and brakes, so no longer classic. <laughs> this, is what, it's the epitome, this is what kicked off the uh, retro rod, or a lot of people like to attribute it to it, uh, what kicked off the retro rod movement, if you will. Um, I think I'm using the right term. Essentially, that's people taking older cars, and putting modern underpinnings underneath it so it actually handles like a modern car. Hmm. But is uh, that legit? Me, is that kind of... Well, here's the thing. From... Hmm. Here's the thing. I said people... These, there's the Concours guys, and I agree, you know, they, they, they can have their thing. That's fine. And then those people that like to actually have, I don't know, to be able to go out on the interstate and make a turn and not have to, you know, <laughs> have Arnold biceps to do that turn. Well, that's true. <laughs> Well, no, on the highway, it's not an issue. It's when you try to turn in your own damn driveway. That... <laughs> what happened? I threw my shoulder out again. I can't drive it. <laughs> but I don't know. I, I I like both sides of the fence there. But honestly, I'd take an Eleanor over the original any day. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> but this car was equipped with nitrous, but it was not functional. The Go Baby Go button that was actually in the car was actually a line lock. That's what you use to lock everything down so you can do a burnout. Oh. Hmm. <laughs> People, I know nothing about cars. That's why I have him on the show. I know stuff about movies. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so anyway, that's that's about all I got on that. It's a, it, essentially that button was the exact opposite of Go. <laughs> Yeah, this anyway. movie is credited with saving um, Nicolas Cage's career. He had done three or four flops after Con Air, and this carried him through some more flops until he got to National Treasure, and obviously after National Treasure 2 saved him again, <laughs> there's nothing left. There's no National Treasure 3, there's no Gone in 60 Seconds 2, which is surprising. I mean, I know the first one cost a lot of money, and the second, you know, it, it, I think it cost like $80 million and it only made like 120 or something like that. But you would think, now that he's kind of lower cost and more direct-to-video, you would think that they would be lining up to make a bunch of these. Right? And I don't if, know. And if not that, get Billy Zane. Just slap a wig on him, too. It works all the same. <laughs> I like Billy Zane. <laughs> Billy, I don't know. He could do anything. He could pull anything off. <laughs> Still needs to be Lex Luthor. I'm stunned to this day that no one's ever cast Billy Zane as Lex Luthor. It's mind-boggling. Maybe he looks he just like him. It's... Me. I've been a YouTube man. He could do his own. No kidding. Just the Lex Luthor like <laughs> diary, like his daily log or something like that. Yes. Do it. Do it. That would be do awesome. it in a comical way. Like all, it's all about his frustrations with dealing with superheroes, not so much the actual <laughs> adventures, like the aftermath. <laughs> <laughs> 
the mundane day of Lex Luthor. The... <laughs> uh, so yeah, Gone in 60 Seconds. One of the good remakes. Like I said, it's a shorter episode. We're at 22 minutes, so hey, everybody. Check us out on Facebook under Full Throttle Podcast. Everything is over on Retro Rocket Entertainment, which is uh, the parent company for all our podcasts that we do, which my co-host did the art for. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Hire him. <laughs> Um, we said that back in January we were going, or in January we were going to launch our new show, Full Throttle Sci-Fi. Things have kind of held up a little yeah. bit. Part of it's because you're working so much now, I'm working so much now. The stupid rain keeps getting in the way. Recordings get ruined, and uh, yeah, you know, a little bit life gets in the way. Yeah, you got kids. <laughs> I got a dog, so. No. I got more time, I guess. Um, but we will get event- get to it eventually. Um, just right now, we're kind of doing some filler episodes. Uh, kind of still realizing that we have more to talk about on Full Throttle. It's not just about the TV shows. It's also about the movies. So it's not really right. Full Throttle TV anymore. It's more like Full Throttle, just the podcast. Just Full Throttle. We could do that. Yeah, I mean, there's so many more movies we can discuss. There's all the James Bonds. There's the Fast and Furious. Um, what, what we could movie? do a whole year on James Bond. I know. Yeah. Uh, Vanishing Point. Uh, that was another excellent remake. Oh. Um, what else we got? There's so many others. And there's kind of the crappy ones like Stroker Ace. <laughs> and, uh, what was that Ron that? Howard movie? Where the oh, What was that one? Rush? Oh, yeah, I can't remember. Car Racing? Or Grand yeah. Theft Auto. Is that the one where he steals the race car and they go for a joyride? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's yeah. that, and then there's, um, what is the one with Kenny Rogers? Six Pack? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of movies we can discuss. I love that one. But our next episode is going to be about truckers. Now, we won't really have any details about the trucks, which I know if you guys are fans of the show, you probably love that part. We're just going to discuss trucker films, you know, what we like about them, and the ones that are worth mentioning, the ones that we won't even waste our time on. <laughs> All right, so that is it for us here. Ron, send us out. Send us out. I don't know. Hasta la vista. I don't know. No, we need a slogan. Hello, we baby. Need a... Hello. We do need. We need music. Yeah, yeah. that's what we need. We need we like need a, a awesome slogan and like some like some revving uh, music. You know, I mean, I don't want Metallica mm. soon, so we can't do that. And Megadeth knows Metallica, so we can't use high speed dirt. Hmm. So I guess maybe. We'll just... Maybe my gears need to be start spinning on this shit on keyboard over here. <laughs> Maybe we call it a theme song. All right, uh, but seriously, send us out. Say something nice to the people. Say something nice to people. Thank you all for sticking with us through the thick and thin and the long pauses between. And uh... <laughs> yeah, yeah, long pauses. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> all right, good night. Good night. I'll just make up some music. I should find some old hee haw music, maybe. I'm sure there's some like 80 songs of that show per episode. I wish we could play some of that. <laughs> hey, actually, I know what we'll do. We'll play a little bit of the song that's going to start off the next episode. <clears throat> What's that? That was like a preview? Okay, that's not really a theme song. I didn't realize it started. I forgot it started with so much talking. Forget it, we're out of here. <laughs> <laughs>